0: Hello, Rachel here with a brief, I guess, a public service announcement and rata to explain something about the episode that you are about to hear. And if you listen to all of these episodes where we discuss the play scene by scene, you're going to hear this message multiple times. And I apologize for that. To. This important information is that there is a method that my co-hosts and I discuss called original practice Shakespeare that we have since learned was not original practice to Shakespeare at all. There is zero evidence to suggest that Shakespeare's actors did not rehearse their plays. There is zero evidence to suggest that they always faced the audience at all times. In fact, we know that to be patently false. So I go into this in more depth in the episode of the podcast under that title about what is original practice and Shakespeare and early modern rehearsal and play production methods.
1: Give me some music. Now, good morrow, friends. Now, good Cesario, but that piece of song, that old and antique song we heard last night, methought it did relieve my passion much more than light airs and recollected terms of these most brisk and giddy paced times. Come, but one verse.
0: He is not here,
1: so please your lordship that should sing it. Who was it? Festy the jester, my lord, a fool that the lady. Olivia's father took much delight in.
2: He's about the house.
1: Seek him out, and play the tune the while. Come hither, boy, if ever thou shalt love, in the sweet pangs of it remember me. For such as I am all true lovers are, unstayed and skittish in all motions else, save in the constant image of the creature that is beloved. How dost thou like this tune?
3: It gives a very echo to the seat where love is throned.
1: Thou dost speak masterly. My life upon't, young though thou art, thine eye hath stayed upon some favour that it loves. Hath it not, boy?
3: A little, by your favour.
1: What kind of woman is't?
3: Of your complexion.
1: She is not worthy, then. What years, if faith?
3: About your years, my lord. Too
1: old by heaven! Let still the woman take and elder than herself, so wears she to him, so sways she level in her husband's heart. For, boy, however we do praise ourselves, our fancies are more giddy and unfirm, more longing, wavering, sooner lost and worn than women's are.
3: I think it well, my lord.
1: Then let thy love be younger than thyself, or thy affection cannot hold the bent. For women are as roses, whose fair flower, being once displayed, doth fall that very hour.
3: And so they are, alas that they are so, to die even when they to perfection grow.
1: Oh, fellow, come, the song we had last night. Market it, Caesarea, it is old and plain. The spinsters and the knitters in the sun, and the free maids that weave their thread with bones, do use to chant it. It is silly, sooth, and dallies with the innocence of love, like the old age.
2: Are you ready, sir? Aye, prithee, sing. Come way, come way, death, and sad cypress, let me be laid. Fly away, fly away, breath, I am slain by a fair crew maid my shroud of white stuck all with you oh prepare it my part of death no one so true didn't share it not a flower not a flower sweet on my black coffin let there be thrown. not a friend not a friend greet my poor corpse, where my bones should be thrown. A thousand thousand sighs to say, yeah, yeah. lay me o'er, sad true lover, never find my grave. Yeah, yeah.
1: There's for thy pains. No
2: pain, sir. I take pleasure in singing, sir. I'll pay thy pleasure, then. Truly, sir, and pleasure will be paid, one time or another. Give me now leave to leave thee. Now the melancholy god protect thee, and the tailor make thy doublet of a changeable taffeta, for thy mind is very opal. I would have men of such constancy put to see that their business might be everything, and their intent everywhere for well, that's it that always makes a good voyage of no thing farewell let all the rest give place <laughs>
1: once more cesario get thee to yon same sovereign cruelty tell her my love more noble than the world prizes not quantity of dirty lands the parts that fortune hath bestowed upon her tell her i hold as giddily as fortune "'Tis that miracle, and queen of gems, that nature pranks her in, attracts my soul.
3: "'But if she cannot love you, sir?'
1: "'I cannot be so answered.'
3: "'Sooth, but you must. "'Say that some lady, as perhaps there is, hath for your love a great pang of heart, "'as you have for Olivia. "'You cannot love her, you tell her so. "'Must she not then be answered?'
1: there is no woman's sides can bide the beating of so strong a passion as love doth give my heart no woman's heart so big to hold so much they lack retention alas their love may be called appetite no motion of the liver but the palate that suffer surfeit cloyment and revolt but mine is all as hungry as the sea and can digest as much make no compare Between that love a woman can bear me, and that I owe Olivia.
3: Ay, but I know.
1: What dost thou know?
3: Too well what love women to men may owe. In faith they are as true of heart as we. My father had a daughter loved a man. As it might be, perhaps, were I a woman, I should your lordship.
1: And what's her history?
3: A blank, my lord. She never told her love, but let concealment like a worm in the bud, feed on her damask cheek. She pined in thought, and with a green and yellow melancholy she sat like patience on a monument, smiling at grief. Was not this love indeed? We men may say more, swear more, but indeed our shows are more than will, for still we prove much in our vows, but little in our love.
1: But died thy sister of her love, my boy.
3: I am all the daughters of my father's house, and all the brothers, too, and yet I know not. Sir, shall I to this lady?
1: Ay, that's the theme. To her in haste. Give her this jewel. Say, my love can give no place. Bide now, Danae.
0: All right, everyone, so we just finished listening to Act 2, Scene 4 in Duke Orsino's Palace. I am here with Bridget Riley Beauchamp and John Bean, and we are here to guide you through all the many dick jokes in this scene.
4: (laughs) John's favorite. (laughs) All right,
0: so I have been doing some reading, so listeners you know, with any luck, you're, you're listening to these kind of in order and fairly short amount of time, probably. But we have about a week in between each recording. And so that gives me time to do some research and look at some more books. And I did a deep dive. And everything near as I can tell every single word that Shakespeare ever wrote was in fact, a dick joke. So We can't possibly cover them all. That's probably its own podcast, so we will bring up a few. But it really, for me, changes certain plays in my mind. Like, how can any of this have been a real tragedy? How can any of the tragedies be tragedies if every single line contains multiple dick jokes? Hmm. That's what I keep wondering.
5: <laughs> let's let's talk about the eye of the beholder.
4: Right. So there's, there's a lot of death in some of these. There's,
5: I distinctly remember a sword, possibly some poison at one point or another.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, having just done Macbeth um, a couple of years ago, my most recent, that's, yeah. That, there's not a lot that's funny about Macbeth. Dick jokes or not.
0: I I don't know. I honestly don't know, like, how you know how does that like and there there are lots of dick jokes in Macbeth Um, Mm -hmm. you know like to me that just kind of changes my whole idea of the Elizabethan worldview and certainly in terms of Shakespeare like obsessed <laughs> apparently <laughs> you know like and everybody loved it I mean he was very popular you you know incredibly successful became really wealthy off of his work so nobody then who was attending found any of this peculiar or inappropriate um, but you know that's perhaps a discussion for a, another podcast but it it does it, it does beg the question
5: uh, Does it temper your your respect kind of a bit, or or the idea of this this huge, um, you know, the, the god Shakespeare when when <laughs> you know you see like I mean there is that argument to be made that he's you know a vaudevillian or you know like a, it's mm-hmm. it, it's it's got some of that stuff to it, especially with what we know about his style of performance and and what they were going through you know in the mm-hmm. day with mm-hmm. that, but um, I don't know he's just so. He, he speaks so much of being in the theater and being of the theater so much he's so self-aware even though we don't actually see him mm-hmm. but self-aware as a writer and a performer and what he's trying to do and we see we see him talk about writing and talk about performing and talk about creating these characters or talk about scenes talk about the ideas of love and and his um, doubts about his own uh sincerities you know mm-hmm. in those When we get to things Mm -hmm. like sonnets and that kind of thing, so because I agree, the the more you you, you dig, the more gold you find with with several things. It could be, you know, Mm -hmm. hey, uh, was he was it all just you know body kind of you know out there for the groundlings' humor, or was this you know uh, the question of authorship, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, you can uh, or the um, idea of uh, Shakespeare being gay, or the and on and on and on it, it, it's such a wide canon it's with such fertile soil that i think that the uh, there's so to be said for that that um that the intention that we go digging with you know, well we... yeah
0: and and you know to uh, i mean uh, shakespeare and the elizabethans would have none of the concerns which you just listed which I find really fascinating. Obviously, they they knew Shakespeare and knew that he wrote those plays. Um, they did not think of themselves in terms of uh, sexual identity, in terms of whether they were heterosexual or gay or bi. They didn't have any of those ideas. That's a fairly recent invention. Like, you know. Yeah. Well, I, that's so they saying. didn't have any of those ideas. So uh, what I'm just like slowly really starting to realize is that for them you know sexual energy and and penises were their own constant metaphor you know they certainly had a big gender divide gender was really interesting to them and they did not have in some ways, the same definitions of gender that we do. But this constant, almost obsession about whether or not somebody had a penis is fascinating, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and they, their concern that you could lose a penis by wearing women's clothes. Uh, their concerns that it might not work if you, you know, did a certain thing or that thing. I think it's, difficult for very nice of them yes (laughs) i think it's difficult for a lot of people to realize especially if you were born after viagra was invented but for millions of years when men passed a certain age it was really difficult for them to maintain an erection and i think that this probably Mm. had much more of a psychological effect then we realize, uh, certainly at the time, there was a lot of concern about virility and the life force and everything else. And just as women still today feel mixed feelings about going through menopause and being postmenopausal and being past ovulating, past a time of life when they're going to be producing children, Men used to face that same age threshold, at which point they could no longer rely on an erection. And the fact that this is no longer the case, provided you wanna spend the money and take the pill, I think has had sweeping changes on our own culture. And maybe one of those things that makes it hard to interpret authors and movies and books of times that went before, when men had to face that particular aging threshold. So that's something that I'm I'm going to be thinking about for a while. But um, I I was reading some books, and I'm sorry I don't have the the book title hand for me at the moment but i think it's an encyclopedia of shakespeare's sex jokes and puns something like that anyway it's a book that i got for a couple bucks from a used bookstore 10 years ago and that you now cannot find for under 60 dollars online so thank (laughs) god i kept it thank god i didn't get rid of it um but anyway, going forward, so I will bring up some of these dick jokes, but I cannot possibly bring up all of them. So my apologies to my oh, audience. Oh, I believe in you.
5: I believe
2: in
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> I will try to bring up the ones that seem really relevant to the, <laughs> the story at hand. And To our homosexual panic scene. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we will get to that. But and then then there's one other thing that I wanted to mention because and this is Jermaine uh, specifically this scene. I have a wonderful book called The Elizabethans at Home by Lou Emily Pearson. And eventually when I get the website up and running, I will have all these books listed there. I want to assure my readers that I am not just pulling these uh, dick joke factoids out of my head. I have a a library, ever-growing library that I pull this information from. Of Shakespearean dick jokes. Yes. Well, (laughs) at least three books just covering those alone. Um, Let's see. So, and this is about music, and she's talking about how music was a regular part of the Elizabethan's life. And uh, she says, then, as perhaps at any time, music was the touchstone of their civilization. Though it might differ for Puritan, Catholic, or Anglican, most households, rich or poor, recognized it as the lodestone which drew people together. Whether singing psalms or gay ditties or devotional hymns, they yielded to the spell by which their music bound them. Maids sang at their household duties, men sang in the fields, apprentices sang at their work, and when the mother stilled her fretting babe with song, she hummed to herself as much as to the child. Often the housewife spinning with her maids was entertained by the singing of one in the group. So this was fascinating to me because we don't do this anymore
5: well it's it's shifted you know we're we're inundated with media you know mm-hmm. from from the you know the womb to the grave mm-hmm. you know where i think it's it's definitely completely different and less so less um less uh personal um and like sort of family unit based and and um there's just so much of it it, it's it may be um less meaningful uh on in the moment Mm -hmm. but but i think most of us most of the time have music is a huge huge part of our lives you know
4: yeah but i think there's a difference between the music that we consume now which is produced primarily by other people in a professional capacity versus, you know, even when you, you know, I know little house in the prairie has fallen out of fashion, but I'm a gen Xer. So, you know, it was the series that I grew up with and, you know, every night after dinner, they played and sang. And it was, whether they're, you know, whether they were by themselves or on those rare occasions that they had company, you know, when we were young,
5: you know, you, we, we, entertain each other you know around the dinners table and that kind of thing yeah yeah
4: but i i do think that i mean you don't do that anymore Mm -hmm. like people don't just people don't just sing as they go about their work they're listening to they're listening to something on their their earbuds or they're listening to a podcast but people don't and maybe people sing in their car Mm -hmm. but it's just not you know i mean my grandmother when when she, when we moved her out of her apartment, I inherited a stack this thick mm-hmm. of piano, of sheet music, because mm-hmm. that's what, you know, they would, you know, she was born in 1918, mm-hmm. 1915, they would, that's what they would do it in the evenings, they would sit and play. Um, and you know, when was the last time you gathered around the piano with your nearest and dearest for an evening of folk song? And and
0: I feel so (laughs) self-conscious when I do sing, even though Mm -hmm. I can sing on key, even though nobody has ever, you know, said, Oh God, Rachel, you know, go, go practice in the shower. I mean, but I still feel really self-conscious and I think most people do. And I think a lot of that is because we are used to consuming this professionally, very slickly produced music and so we're comparing Mm -hmm. ourselves to them instead of comparing ourselves Mm to you know our grandparents or our cousins you know who were going Mm -hmm. oh well i can sing as good as they can so
5: and the and the goal was different too you Mm -hmm. know because it Mm -hmm. wasn't so much about quality of of, you know performance as much as it was you know either camaraderie or Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. uh, whatever it was you know when you were Mm -hmm. celebrating a holiday or you know right
4: uh, yeah i mean even my husband is a trained jazz guitarist and we I mean, he'll take out a guitar and play but we don't sit around and sing
0: mm-hmm. you know and it's like so bonding like we know it's bonding mm-hmm. but yeah. that fear of judgment and mm-hmm. also just people not knowing the same songs well
5: yeah. and i i know i also um you know and us being you know uh, all from the entertainment world uh I don't know if you guys have this too, but I'm, I'm a bit of a, you know, consumer of, uh, you know, an avid consumer of like, you know, media and with radio stuff and that kind of thing. I'm constantly looking for that new music. And I'll tell you, I have trouble sitting around the campfire when someone busts out the guitar in my head. I want it. I want to be there with it. I want to be enjoying it. But there's, I'm kind of like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I,
0: get you, I do, I get it. I can I One time you know, we, we had a... j-
5: jazz is something different. Jazz is something different.
2: I to that. All
0: day. <laughs> I, I remember one time we had a, a, a Thanksgiving dinner and we invited some friends over and one of them brought their guitar, and they they loved to perform folk music. The two of them, but they weren't very good and (laughs) they dominated the entire space. Like we couldn't hold a conversation. We could, we felt like Mm -hmm. hostages and some Mm -hmm. of you may have seen that meme where it's a cat looking stressed (laughs) at the front of the picture and behind them are two people folk singing. And it's something about, you know, save this cat from, from the folk singers, (laughs) you know, it's not fair. But Mm -hmm. the, And just that experience that I had where I felt like it was an imposition that then Mm. now I became even more wary of like just kind of singing, even singing in the Mm -hmm. car. If there's other people in the car, I Mm. feel kind of shy and self-conscious about unless it's my own kids who aren't allowed to say anything about it. So um, (laughs) I, I think that, you know, when we look at over time we've talked about the breakdown of the family and we've blamed it on this thing and that thing. And is it women working out of the home? No, because women have always had to work. Uh, You know, is it because there were divorces allowed? No, divorces were allowed throughout the bulk of human history. And so uh, my current thesis, if there's anybody out there who's just desperate to uh, do a master's or a PhD is that it's in big part to, families not singing together, in music being part of our daily lives, and just having it be as natural as talking or breathing Mm -hmm. or eating, that it got put aside in the separate category, I think is sad. And Mm -hmm. I would like to see it be more a part of things. Uh, You know, to the point where why aren't kids singing in school? Why isn't homeroom everybody singing together as loudly or as quietly as they want to now I, I get it you don't feel like singing but that's the great thing you can just open your mouth and look like you're singing <laughs> it's still you're still part of the activity you know it's still kind of a bonding thing everybody did you guys
5: with with kids and stuff did you guys uh, uh, have them take music lessons or uh any of that kind of thing
0: to the Mm -hmm. to the degree which they wanted to but uh, you know i'm not particularly musical in terms of instruments i tried um i had both my kids try but musicians i i firmly believe that musicians are born and not made you have to enjoy you have to enjoy making those sounds
5: I think you beat it into them from a young age. I
0: think think it takes both. I I wish I'd been beat
5: harder. No, I, I don't think
0: so, because we're all constructed so differently now. I could not stop drawing. I couldn't stop drawing and I couldn't stop writing, but mostly I could not stop drawing. I could not stop decorating things. I am incredibly visual in terms of my expression for the most part, but I'm a little too critical in terms of audio, which makes me a a good sound editor, but not a great musician. And the musicians that I have known have been okay playing the same chords over and Mm. over and over again and i'll tell you i get bored immediately like right away and don't have any of that inner need to express myself that way i wish i did i really wish i did I, i wish that i could play an instrument you know half well and i tried i tried a few times but um I, you know, everybody's brain is different. Like uh, my husband's an amazing cook. Like he has things about his sense of taste that are different than mine. And I think people have things with their sense of hearing and their ability to, to put things together abstractly in their head that, you know, that that not everybody else can do. And that's, that's what makes the world so wacky and wonderful, right? <laughs> okay, so uh, I wanted to really talk about that because this is such a musical play in a culture that that loved music and where music would have been part of their daily lives and i really want to encourage any of you out there that are getting ready to produce some shakespeare to include music i think it highly unlikely that any shakespeare produced at the time of shakespeare did not include some music Somewhere, at do at you two least, agree?
5: A, a, a trumpet, mm. at least, right? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. A flourish.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. It's
4: um, the plays themselves are so incredibly musical. The language is mm-hmm. musical, even in the not, you know, even in the nonverse plays. There's so much dependence on music. Um, I'm thinking about like Much Ado, mm-hmm. you know, where so much of that play is is you know, happens around and in musical scenes. Um, And none of it's in verse. Um, But yeah, every, every play was just, you know, and it was the popular music of the day. So it was, it was tunes that everybody recognized. It was tunes that everybody could sing along with Mm -hmm. Um,
5: production
0: value for them.
5: Yeah. Even even if the
4: words, yeah. Even if the words were different, the, 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 the melody was the same.
0: And you can kind of, if you're, if even if the words are unfamiliar, if they're rhyming, sometimes you can kind of guess what's coming next. I think some of the most mm-hmm. popular songs you really can kind of anticipate. Oh, I think I see where this is going.
5: Well, and in yeah. this play, like the the especially the communal nature of music is really really on display and and kind of examined here because it's really it's one thing when we all watch someone sing, but you know like in, in moments like uh, in in the scene. Today mm-hmm. we get to see someone seeing the music, someone hearing the music, mm-hmm. and that extra, that extra level is just so incredibly interesting and, and rich. Mm-hmm. And there's a, you know, we have the instincts of the characters, we have that plot movement of the characters and their needs and their everything driving. But when in their world, they're interrupted by a sort of communal music. In their world, mm-hmm. uh, for us out here seeing them then experience it, it's this it, mm-hmm. a added layer. It's um, mm-hmm. and it's great, and the um, it's also sort of dramatically, you know, Aristotle wise, um, a, a wonderful punctuation at, at the right moments. You mm-hmm. know, when when mm-hmm. we've got a really rousing uh, finish or a crescendo, you know, to a, a movement in a play, a lot of times mm-hmm. it'll be noted with a. a a particularly cheering song, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. uh, Yeah.
0: yeah. And, you know, I would not have been surprised... I'm saying, you know, again, we have to not say, you know, um, I forgive you. <laughs> Wait, John,
2: apologize.
0: And yeah, then we'll apologize. Sorry. Sorry.
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs>
0: You're hired. You're my official apologizer. It's a big job. Let me tell you, I will be forwarding everyone to you that needs an apology for me. <laughs> oh gosh. Where was I? Um, what were we talking about
5: <laughs> music, music.
4: <laughs> and the communal aspect of music yeah hmm. well one of the things that occurred to me while rachel is is recapturing her thought one of the things that occurred to me while john was speaking was that the duke doesn't join in
0: mm.
4: orsino is always asking for music and it's performative for him, but he is not one of the people who makes the music. That's a
5: great Interesting
0: point. point that is somehow beneath him a little bit, and mm-hmm. it might actually be very therapeutic for him to sing.
5: He might be ina- mm-hmm. unable.
0: Well, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, because
4: one of the things I was thinking was how amazing it must have been to be standing, you know, with the groundlings in the Globe, listening to this entire theater sing along with the actors mm-hmm. and then the one person who's not singing is
0: the Duke well Viola's not singing along either
5: true Wait, but so, that, so, so to so see, that see this, them seeing each yeah. other mm-hmm. in this moment right. just and that's, a fun,
0: that that's a fun scene oh. and we'll, we'll talk about that we'll talk about that mm-hmm. too but I do think that's interesting certainly people would hire servants because they had a good voice They Mm -hmm. would have expected somebody in their household to be able to sing while people were doing the spinning and everything else. And clearly, one of the perks of being wealthy is that you have people around to sing for you whenever Mm -hmm. you want to. And we have Orsino, who's clearly not used to getting his hands dirty, evidently Mm -hmm. doesn't even process his own emotions for himself.
4: might be the best one-line
0: description of Brasino ever. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, I found my lost thought, which was that it's very likely that in between scenes there was music played also. Certainly mm-hmm. that would have been the tradition at the time. And, yeah. you know, moving forward a few hundred years or so, at a, at a time when plays were outlawed, And then because people couldn't do plays, opera was invented. (laughs) And then in order to try and get rid of the opera, they weren't allowing any productions where people danced. And so they just stopped.
5: Oh, sorry. (laughs) <laughs> or, Mozart.
0: Was it the other way around? You weren't allowed to sing, and so they just had ballets. I think that's it. I got it. I got it wrong. That's how ballet was invented, is because first they eliminated plays, then no singing, and then ballet. So we are determined to tell those dang stories. But here we are in a time when Shakespeare was still legal, and we've got Orsino saying, Give me some music. Pretty clear and just to kind of uh do a little synopsis of this scene Orsino is moping as is his habit hmm. and there was a song that he liked he couldn't remember who sang it we've all been there before and curio says oh that was Festy." and uh, Festy's around i'll go get him and Orsino says thanks well no he doesn't say thanks he says of go find not. him <laughs> <laughs> putting, putting thoughts in Arsino's head he never had, like, thank you. <laughs> Don't give him the credit. <laughs> and then Orsino is describing the song to Viola, and she gives a very witty answer. There's nobody singing the tune at that point, but he's got his musicians playing the tune. And mm-hmm. she says, it gives a very echo to the seat where love is throned. And uh, yes, that's a genital joke. Um, And then Orsino says, thou dost speak masterly. Good genital joke, Viola. Hmm. Uh, And, you know, I want to be clear that when I'm talking about these dick jokes, (laughs) this is only one layer. For me, Mm -hmm. Shakespeare is... Like a cross between a music box and a lasagna, so it, it's this sort of jeweled <laughs> layer of all these different textures and ideas. And so, that's
5: right, dear listeners, lasagna.
4: <laughs>
0: lasagna. How many
5: times? How many times are you going to hear that sentence? Jeweled you're like,
0: lasagna.
4: <laughs> jeweled lasagna
0: sounds delicious. <laughs> and so, you know, not only is he saying that, you know, he recognizes her wit in this matter, but also that, you know, she's speaking to a very real philosophical, metaphysical truth, which is that, you know, music helps amplify and echo those deep feelings that we have. And so she's saying that this music does reach her in that place where she has those kinds of romantic feelings and for arsino to say to somebody thou dost speak masterly that's huge like he does not dish out the compliments so all of a sudden we're starting to see that he's really feeling different about viola cesario than he would about Curio or Valentine. He doesn't talk to them like this at all. It's all, get me this, go do that, blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden, to Cesario, it's thou dost speak masterly. And then he goes on to talk about how attractive Cesario is and wonders if Cesario has a love interest. And uh, Cesario says, yeah and he says what kind of woman and she says oh she kind of looks like you oh uh, and then he says oh
5: this is the classic yeah elementary school uh, i don't know if this <laughs> happened to you guys or you know but i'm sure we've all had some version of this kind of classic moment you know uh-huh, <laughs> I mean,
0: uh-huh, where you're uh, like talking to your crush and they're yeah, clueless totally, totally clueless and then You know, he says, oh, well, if she looks like me, she's, you know, you deserve better. (laughs) And then he wants to, how old is this love interest? And uh, Cesario replies, oh, you know, about your years, my lord. And then we run into one of the most offensive (laughs) bits of dialogue in this play, in any Shakespeare play, and... Uh, to the point where I've had my actor playing Viola saying, do I have to play this straight? And I'm like, I'm sorry. Sort of you do. Uh, You know, somehow you have to navigate these terrible things that Orsino is saying and still find something about him to find attractive. Uh, It's okay to lose that attraction later, but in this scene, you're attracted to him and you know, to be fair, uh, who amongst us has not been attracted to somebody who had some very problematic views. Yeah. Especially in our yeah.
5: youth. Uh, I mean, I haven't, but um, I, I, I think that's what the scene's about. <laughs> no, or, I mean, that moment in the scene. Yeah, no, I think that, mm-hmm. you know, there's so much rock, uh, rock star energy going on here. They're mm-hmm. they're in the middle of this, like, incredibly uh, intense, emotional, uh, introspective
2: mm-hmm.
5: uh, thing. And, you know, I, I think Viola's uh, a formidable enough mind that she can see a goofy guy, being a goofy guy and marvel at him being made in this universe, you know, even, mm. even knowing that he's a goofy.
3: Well,
0: And you know, if, if she's anything like I was or certainly every other female identified person I knew at this age, she thinks she can change him. She thinks she can persuade him otherwise and proceeds to do Mm. so in this dialogue. And it's just so telling. Like you just have to wonder how, first of all, you know, Shakespeare understood this so well. He's speaking so clearly from the female-identified perspective in this, and there are so many ways to play this. You can play it, you know, with a straight patriarchal view, where Viola Cesario goes, yep, you're right. You know, women lose their their attractiveness once they turn 30 or, <laughs> or whatever um
5: i think there's some there's something in that final couplet of the scene mm-hmm. that, where she she's and remember they they're you know he thinks this is or sino thinks this is a well not he's starting to maybe doubt this, but this is another guy, you know, that he's talking to Mm -hmm. or whatever. But, uh, but I think, I think Viola, Shakespeare does Viola well in that last couplet. a little, I think there's something in there, Mm. you know, it depends on how you do it, but.
0: Well, and you know, when Arsino says, then let thy love be younger than thyself. And I, I trust you listeners to find the dick jokes here or thy affection cannot hold the bent for women are as roses whose fair flower being once displayed doth fall that very hour and again we're seeing orsino as somebody who just cannot look past his own dick like for him Mm -hmm. that's how women are and that's how they are and he's,
5: he's contemplating though in there the i mean he's also got just a dash of the of of the existentialist in him, you know, and he's the frailty of things and the circular nature of things and the 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 chaos of these energies is something that he, he comes to again and again in the play. It's not his mm-hmm. primary motivation by any means, I wouldn't say, but I was going
4: to say, stop it, John. Yeah, I don't sorry, like Orsino. Sorry. I know we, know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know, we <laughs> hate
5: Orsino. <her laughs> we hate Orsino. <laughs> <her laughs> <see
4: her. laughs> <laughs> He's a fuck boy, John. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I gotta,
5: my, my wife would totally agree with you guys. <laughs> no. But I, I, I just want to say that I think you're, you're mostly, you know, right there, but they, there are these threads, you know?
0: Yes. <laughs> All right. Yes, I'm no. shutting up. I'm shutting up. <laughs> no, no. Oh, no, you're right thank you thank you and you're absolutely right and all kidding aside if orsino was simply as two-dimensional as you know just being this kind of cipher of a person if he did not have these other depths then the play would not be any good you need a character even one as uh, annoying as Arsino, to have some redeemable qualities, some sorts of insights. He's certainly well-educated. You know, th- there has to be something to him for Viola, who we know is bright, to be attracted to him at all. And I'm i am going to backtrack a little bit because I jumped, jumped ahead. Oh, Bridget, you want to say something? Yes.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I this, And this may fit better in a later episode, uh. so feel free to move it. But I there's a part of me that believes that Olivia and Viola are the true soulmates of this play, and that both Olivia's eventual love and Viola's eventual love are very much. This is a physical attraction, primarily. Um, This is a lust attraction, primarily, and that when that lust changes, fades, whatever that the the companionship connection is not between viola and orsino
0: well there there are so many directions to go with that you know viola and olivia are written from the same letters and Mm. so like we can even possibly look at this as different aspects of the same person and Mm. when you consider that elizabeth is every high-ranking woman in the play then it becomes more a, of a meditation on these people that Elizabeth may have been attracted to. And we don't know, was there a eunuch that she had a fancy for? Mm-hmm. Was there lady companions that you know, were sleeping with her? We know she didn't sleep alone a lot of the time. Often her maids were with her. We don't know what they did. And frankly, it's none of our business. <laughs> but there were no strictures absolutely none against same-sex people enjoying each other in bed. There there just wasn't anything like that. There there were taboos against sodomy which was very specific of anal sex between two men. That was illegal. But like any taboo that just meant that it was all that much sexier for the people who enjoyed that. So but all that aside, um, I want to backtrack a little bit because there's, there's an important line here uh, that Viola has in response to Orsino, where he says, Too old by heaven, let still the woman take an elder than herself. She wears she to him, so sways she level in her husband's heart. For boy, however we deprave ourselves... Our fancies are more giddy and unfirm, more longing, wavering, sooner lost in war than women's are. And then Viola says, I think it well, my lord. And I'm feeling like she's saying, yeah, it's a good thing women aren't as fickle (laughs) as men are. I don't think she's necessarily saying that it's a good thing men are that way. Mm.
5: right yeah 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 yeah. Right? I, yeah
0: yeah like she could be going yeah men are kind of wacky it's a good thing women don't do that uh, but that goes right over Orsino's head of course mm-hmm. uh and then we go on to the next line that i said ahead of time but uh yep. so then festi shows up and Orsino says oh come sing that song
5: can i can i uh, talking uh, in in this here this verse here yeah. that we've got going mm-hmm. on I mean just a huge huge moment uh, in in the power of shakespeare's verse here the first part of this scene before you know we get to uh, the song proper with Festy mm-hmm. but the um,
0: you want to read it for us please
5: uh of the verse with mm-hmm. the ver- yeah well some some of the moments I mean and there I, and there's some you know you can you can really do you mean Festy's
0: song by the verse is that what you mean or
5: i was going to talk about the um the verse uh, as written before fessy's entrance okay um it going back and forth between orsino and Von. oh Lord.
0: okay yeah um mm. it's
5: it's a wonderful e- example here of the shared pentameter
0: mm-hmm.
3: and, and the
5: effect that we have um when you have these two characters and it's it's it, this is I, I mean for my dollar this even more so this scene than a romeo and juliet you know where mm-hmm one starts and the other finishes the line. This one has uh, some navigation in it that is just formidable as in terms of a tool for the actor and and, mm-hmm. and listeners that, that are way uh, interested and, and want to get way, way deep into it. I recommend, <clears throat> again, John Barton's playing Shakespeare. Um, and especially on uh, Twelfth Night, there's a wonderful, they, they did a few episodes on Twelfth Night. And I really, really, uh, you can't uh spend enough time in there you, you'll die happy well, but um
0: well tell us john sorry, what, what do you see here no i want specifics
5: yeah so um so you know it's what we do is uh we've got we're getting into the idea of uh poetry you know in verse mm-hmm. once um once they're together um it gives a very echo to the seat and that where love is throned thou dost speak masterly where love is thrown thou dost speak masterly 10 beats total mm-hmm. and we have four four beats from viola where love is thrown thou dost speak masterly so an entirely de- and, and it's a cue to the actor right on on the intention there where love is thrown Thou dost speak masterly right, that we give, mm-hmm. we come right in with the realization there. you know, And this is, of course, the tool, just one of several, but um, it speaks to the emotional life of the actor and the character, and it continues. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hath it not, boy, a little by your favor? What kind of woman is it of your complexion? Constantly finishing each other's sentences. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. mm-hmm. like lovers, like, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then uh, as we get to the end of the Duke's bit, too old by heaven. More longing, wavering, sooner lost and worn, and now the new, new line than women's are. I think it well, my lord.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: And uh I you know personally, there's um my favorite is is just above that when we get to uh Duke says, She is not worthy than what years in faith. That's his line. <laughs> and she says, About your years, my lord. Now we only have about your years my Lord, six beats. That means that we have four other beats in this line. Now they can either be before or after the word. And they mm-hmm. both have such huge emotional uh, stakes, depending on mm-hmm. how you decide to play that. About your years, my Lord, beat, 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 beat too old by heaven. Now what happened there, right? Or mm-hmm. what years in faith beat, 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 about your years my lord
2: Mm -hmm.
5: you know what i mean so we Mm -hmm. get an emotional decision and and a very clear character picture just from Mm -hmm. the placement of the meter there and it's just this is this particular moment in almost all of shakespeare is 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 one of the greatest i i would say for that for that particular effect
0: yeah awesome thank you i would never have spotted that so thank you so much Ooh, he's speaking my language now. (laughs) Nice.
4: This is the stuff I love to get into. Yeah, me
0: too. And I just, that's not the direction that my head goes. So please speak up every time you see something like that. That's wonderful. Uh, my mind goes to dick jokes. What can I say? No, <laughs>
4: hey, well, <that's>... John, <laughs> John, and I will hang out and meet our rhetoric. I yeah, yeah,
5: love that, and that's that's
0: why you guys make the big money. Full spectrum, <laughs> the full spectrum. <laughs> oh goodness. Okay, so let's see. Are we ready for Festy's entrance now? So, oh, yeah. Festy comes in. Are you ready, sir? Orsino says, "Yeah, sing." And then Festy sings this cheerful little ditty that Orsino loves so much. <laughs> come away, come away, death. <laughs> and then sad Cypress, let me be laid. And it goes on all about how they're just going to die <laughs> because they're so sad. And so you can see why Orsino likes it. This is... It's
5: really rolling around in the... Yeah,
0: in the um, melancholy, in the green. I
4: need to pop out for five minutes so I can get Siobhan up to get her um, social studies Okay, we'll take five.
5: Take a hard five. All right, guys, be right back. Okay. (laughs) La, la, la. Back. How how is uh, Midsummer going? How, are you guys rehearsing yet? Or?
0: It's going great. Uh, we're going to do our first read through on Monday, and it's just going to be very informal. I, you know, we don't have to do a full read through at all, but I wanted to give my actors that experience yeah. of being in a community. You know, like that's what we're all missing so much is that time where we're all working together on one production. So we'll do, we're going to do an informal read through of the whole script over two days and then I'll break it down by scene and just be rehearsing a scene and then recording a scene, rehearsing a scene, and then recording
5: a scene. How how many uh, rehearsals do you think you do uh, usually like for a, like a given scene or do you break it down person to person or?
0: Well, I think if, If we do two-hour sessions, I think we can rehearse each scene twice, and then wait a couple days and record each scene a few times, and then I should be able to find something something worthwhile (laughs) to work. You know, Uh, I think it's important to have that time in between the rehearsal and the recording because it gives people's brains time to work on it and I think we're always better at something if we've had a chance to sleep on it. I'm pretty strict about the pauses at the end of each line and that's not something that a lot of actors have had to deal with before and I find that at first, it's very awkward for them, but they've never worked that way. So you like
4: hey, to take sorry. A, group. Hey. Took a, little, took
0: a little longer hey, to find something fine. to put them in. That's
5: the fine. <laughs> Social that's studies. All right. that's all,
0: no worries. No worries.
5: So you, you like to have them uh, always recite to the uh, or act to the, the punctuation at the end of the line? Well, I
0: it's not always there isn't always punctuation right,
5: there. right. okay so but but then you know? to just to the end of the line you you
0: to the end of the line I'm really strict about that especially with audio because it gives the listener that millisecond to process what they just heard mm. before they have to listen to the next line
5: it's interesting especially in the audio format I think you're that's a really particularly interesting for for format for for performing Shakespeare because it is so oral. The whole society is, is, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, the whole Elizabethan thing was built out of our oral energies, you know, uh, with hundreds of people you know, (laughs) the actors miles away. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, it is, it is they would say I'm going to go hear a play today. That's the words that they would
0: Exactly. Exactly. It was a very audio medium and I think that's why Shakespeare has become so freaking popular now. I think it's experienced a real resurgence right now, certainly among actors, because they're realizing that they can do this. You know, they can read these plays to each other. Now, I can't watch those live readings.
5: Oh yeah, it's rough. It,
0: it, it, it's, it's Yeah.
5: yeah. But and I've done um, some, but yeah, I, no, I'm... Uh, I, I no, can, and I,
0: I think they're fun to do, but I don't think they're fun to watch just because of the differences in sound quality and everything else. And hence why, you know, why we're doing the audio Shakespeare and why I'm going to be doing sound effects and music and everything else along with them. But, uh, and I did this style when we were performing in real life Shakespeare also, where I had the actors pause briefly or, you know, and it can be a microsecond of a pause. And I, I tell them that that is the split second where your mind has to make a decision. And that decision gives you the opportunity to change the emphasis, to change the volume, to change the emotional tone of the next word you say. It can be, or to make a a long pause, but whatever it is, I want you to pivot there and do something different. And then, oh my gosh that helps so much with those long ass monologues <laughs> because where the actor is really having having it's interesting think.
5: Cause it's, i think that one great thing that, that attack would do would be to preserve the verse you know i mean i think that mm-hmm. you would really that would really help lock it i tend to default to more methody doing it in thoughts rather than you know i'm a Bit of a bast bastard mm-hmm. with that, like a Shakespeare purists would probably take <laughs> exception with that for the most part. But I love your uh, your your idea in terms of yeah, the verse, the pentameter, preserving like the thing that they were going to hear, yeah.
0: preserving the thing. And and I feel like Shakespeare wrote them that way for yeah. a reason, as an instruction to the actor as to yeah. okay, here here's mm-hmm. a beat for you in case you couldn't find yeah. the beat. Here, here's the beat. So you know, like. Where Festy says, now the melancholy god protect mm-hmm. thee and the tailor. Make thy doublet of changeable taffeta, for thy mind is very opal. I would have men of such constancy, you know, he's being super facetious here, put to see that their business might be everything, and their intent everywhere for that it, that but always makes a verse, good voyage of nothing. Part. Farewell. That's prose.
5: Yeah, that's prose right there. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. (laughs) I'm I'm saying it doesn't
0: matter Mm. that that those ends of those lines mean something. That they give you a shift in the beat, and really makes it easier for modern audiences to understand what the hell is going on, Um, and to to follow along. Especially, I I definitely would agree with it as you get into
5: like this next bit with the. Duke and Viola and that kind of thing. Any of your verse type Mm, situations, mm -hmm. I 100% agree with.
0: Well, and I think that it's, I think in a sense, the verse doesn't need it, but the prose desperately does. And, you know, when we're talking naturally, we have little pauses in our speech all the time, where we're taking a minute to recollect our thoughts, think about how we want to express the next thing. So... Mm you know there is no woman's sides can bide the beating of so strong a passion as love doth give my heart no woman's heart so big to hold so much they lack retention alas their love may be called appetite Mm. blah 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 but anyway um yeah so you know getting the actors to do that it takes a little bit of training and you know understandably sometimes they're resistant to it because they're going along with the emotional flow of the words which i understand but my work is always focused on getting people into shakespeare that don't think they can understand shakespeare and whenever i've produced a play like this I'm not kidding. Every single person in the audience understood what was happening and would come up to me and say, wow, I never understood Shakespeare before. I don't know what you did. And it's just really simple is just pausing at the end of each line and allowing a pivot or just a little extra moment of time to go on. All right. But let's see, let's come back to where we were. Okay, so now we have Festy entering and singing his sad, sad song. And do either of you want to say anything about the song? Uh, it's your classic emo tune. <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs>
4: you
5: know, you can dance to it. It's, you know, the uh, Smiths could
0: do a killer yeah. cover.
5: <laughs> <I>, okay. Right.
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Couldn't they, though?
5: Well, or, or Cino, and so then
0: Arsino says... Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah, sorry,
5: well um he kind of tells us about it you know uh before it it happened so that's of mm-hmm. course those instances are always great clues for us but uh silly sooth he, he you know he contrasts those two ideas the sooth and the and the silly but then it dallies with the innocence of love like the old age and that sort of uh, smacks mm-hmm. a little of that kind of melancholy and and the the rolling around in the woe and, and,
2: um, that. so for
4: my dollar, the rolling around uh, in the woe. Yeah, you know,
2: just getting it all over. Rubbing it in real good. (laughs) Yeah.
5: (laughs) And, you know, so you've got some decisions here again with, um, uh, music, you know, in the play and a lot of times it's, 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 um, it's something that, you know, when inserted is done in a certain, you know, like, I oh, I've got to, you know, uh, I've got to make sure it smacks up the Elizabethan era or it's got a folksy thing or it's got a, mm-hmm. you know, a mandolin thing or it's got, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And so these kind of things end up superseding the dramatic need of that song, which does have a dramatic need. Mm-hmm. You know, we see the effect after where the Duke immediately dares for thy pains. I'll pay thy pleasure then. And then give me now leave. Mm. <laughs> Pardon me to leave the and beg your pardon hold on <coughs> um, sorry guys um but he immediately once uh uh festi leaves immediately has the plan and knows what he needs to do with uh, uh and needs cesario to do he's immediately been activated he's been so primed uh in his in his <laughs> su- soup of woe that he's uh <laughs> He's ready to, to now act, you know And so that's how effective and potent The the syrup was there, you know
0: The music and, is Well, and I kind of wonder Sometimes you'll, you'll hear a traditional Irish yeah. tune And the music is very upbeat mm. But the lyrics are all And then she drowned in the river <laughs> And she floated down the stream And her mother found her And they all cried for days So it's possible that the original tune Of this was very kind of upbeat and happy even though the lyrics are so depressing we can't necessarily assume one from the other and again that's up to the producer that's up to the director how they and it's very it's
5: very you know there are a few classic uh, Mm -hmm. compositions of it and you can get those, mm-hmm. and like you're saying, a lot of them are very mm-hmm. plinky-dee, temper tom. I'm mm-hmm. in the courts and the thing and the stuff, you know. And it's that kind of a a thing. But for for my dollar, this is um, I like to pull these songs out of the tenor, I uh, and out of that that kind mm-hmm. of Irishy mm-hmm. lass on the hill kind of thing, and down into the into the swaths of a, like your baritone and your 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 woe mm-hmm. and your big syrupy kind of. So I like to get a a, a you know. And it's that cypress The <laughs> troubadour kind of, you know, come away ba, 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 You know what I mean? That classic sort of, you know, uh, big, big emotional movements in it. You know, and I think mm-hmm. that just for for what we were doing in the productions that I've had that operatic take and, and the, the, the sort of bravura um, take on it just uh, tips us into a little more into what Orsino is trying to get there.
0: Well, in in my case, I was taking some cues on Festi's lines right after this, where he's clearly (laughs) had it with Arsino. He's irritated with Arsino. And so I had him Mm. sing this angry, Mm. kind of real kind of edgy Mm. about it, almost like a (laughs) More like a heavy metal, almost a punk kind of a vibe, (laughs) if that's possible, kind of mixed with this sort of uh, folktale kind of a thing. So yet I can see it sung as just a beautiful ballad. You know, there's so many ways to take it. But now let's talk about what (laughs) happens during this song, where we get a lot of opportunity to show viola cesaria and orsino sitting together listening to this music and having that kind of you know like i've seen it where one is looking at the other one when the other one's not looking and then the other one looks and the other one looks away you know those moments of where you're attracted to somebody but don't want to be caught Looking at them, I've seen other ones where Orsino and Viola their hands, you know, slowly start to touch, or or maybe Orsino might be like, you know, just kind of start with an arm around Viola, but then he's like gradually, you know, playing with their hair. How how did you and how did your actors choose Bridget? This actually the the thing that I always that. think
4: about. I saw a production of this a few years ago a long time ago, actually, that was um, sort of a, a hip, It wasn't quite hip hop, but it was kind of a hip hop Twelfth Night. And they set this scene in Orsino's bathroom. So Orsino was in the tub and Cesario was bathing him during this scene. And it great. was that's really, love that. it was amazing <laughs> to this day. It's my favorite staging of this, you know, with poor, that's you know, perfect. poor Viola yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> trying really hard not to look, but looking a little bit and Orsino being increasingly freaked out <laughs> that he's getting a little turned on by the situation.
5: Well, and it, it gives you it gives you Cesario mm-hmm. necessarily having to be mm-hmm. uh, focused on him and he necessarily mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. being and focused. And it really
4: on the it really it. it's great because amplified all of those uh, gender and sexuality issues because you know you know guys hang out in the locker room together no biggie right yeah. Mm. Yeah,
3: it was, right? really, That's great. It was really, That's really,
4: it was really, it was sexy and unsettling and funny all at the same
0: time. <laughs> mm-hmm. And given what we do know about male relationships in the Elizabethan times, it was not unusual for two male identified people to have a very affectionate and sometimes sexual relationship they couldn't get married but it was not really it wasn't considered bad it was considered much like it was in ancient greece as a way for people to bond and particularly if you had a situation where you know one person was wealthy or one person had you know, knowledge or something, and the other person had talent, and they were attracted to each other, it was seen as a way to have two business partners, what we would think of today, or two creative partners, to have a closer relationship. And certainly, it would not have been unusual for somebody in Orsino's position to have male lovers, to have even male servants who serviced his needs, if that's if that's what he wanted at the time, nobody would have been shocked. Nobody would have thought that was inappropriate. Now, where they drew the line was at certain sexual acts, and there's a reason for that. It has to do with dominance. It doesn't necessarily have to do with what we think of as sexual issues, and so to me the fact that he is possibly attracted to Cesario is not so much shocking because he thought Cesario was male identified, but that he thought Mm. that his heart only belonged to Olivia. That he thought Olivia is the only one who could slake his passion. And so if that's not true, why is he going through all of this? Nonsense! If there's somebody else he can possibly be attracted to, that then brings in this whole other thing of, well, he could have pressured Cesario for sex. Clearly, they have <laughs> not done it. Because then Corsino <laughs> would know. No, no, they they haven't done it. They haven't done it. <laughs> they have not. I'm pretty done sure it. they haven't done and it. And so, if you're if you're looking to produce this play, and you don't want to necessarily present the trope that men are terrified of an erotic experience with another male, you can look at it as just being that. Orsino really thought that Olivia had bewitched him and that she was the only possible person who could make him happy Well and
5: we, we, we have the, 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 the facts of the scenes you know the, the, of what Orsino says as he notices her lip as he notices her her mm-hmm. ability to speak with others and this gradual unfolding you know towards the end mm-hmm. as he's coming kind of realizing this this thing
0: that how attractive cesario is. And and he's been thinking of that just in terms of how that might pull Olivia towards him. But perhaps he's starting to think that maybe he's wooing the wrong person. In any event, he he can't mm-hmm. he can't marry a man. That's really well, clear. Think, oh sorry, and, go ahead. And you know we we come to that in a little bit but um ho- hold that Rich. thought john because let's let's uh, finish up with Festy here because yeah. <laughs> i love this line bridget Certainly. would you like to read Festy's line we? for me, please <laughs> oh sorry <laughs> surprise it's 970 in my <laughs> uh what's the line before it please Oh, yes. Give me yep. now leave to leave thee. Now the melancholy.
4: Now the melancholy god protect thee, and the tailor make thy doublet of changeable taffeta, for thy mind is a very opal. I would have men of such constancy put to sea, that their business might be everything and their intent everywhere, for that's it that always makes a good voyage of
0: nothing. Farewell. <laughs> So I know that may not be immediately obvious, but he is really talking some shit to Arsino here. And we have to think about Festy. He definitely seems to have some real loyalty and affection for Olivia. He makes clear later that he's not all that (laughs) impressed with Cesario. And we'll talk about that later when that scene comes up. And so he's saying, now the melancholy God protect thee and the tailor make thy doublet of changeable taffeta. Well, he's basically saying, look, you are not a sincere person, Orsino, because festy can see <laughs> that Orsino is attracted <laughs> to Cesario. Clearly, festy is perceiving something and is letting the audience know that he sees that, and therefore, if we're getting that impression, he is confirming that for us. Thy mind is a very opal meaning that, again, there's no constancy, there's no consistency in Arsino's mind. I would have men of such constancy, meaning no constancy, put to sea, meaning, get the fuck out of here, Arsino. I don't want you anywhere near, Olivia. That their business might be everything and their intent everywhere. For that's it that always makes a good voyage of nothing. Farewell. And again, we get back to Elizabeth's sea dogs, the sea captains, the privateers that were a huge source of her wealth and power. And you have to wonder how many of those sea captains from, you know, Sir Walter Raleigh on through that she flirted with and dallied with her affections. You know, Festy is saying here, look, don't don't even joke about marrying these guys, you know, they're, they're all just going to go to sea. They don't have any kind of loyalty or anything else. And I really admire festy in this moment in his speaking truth to power, because his position is never secure at Olivia's court. He is not, as he points out, Olivia's fool. He is her corrupter of words. And. After her father died, he no longer had an employer there. He's basically just hanging out. Orsino could be his employer, but Orsino now has Cesario instead. So Festi gets called in to sing the occasional tune. And yet, still, he is willing to say to Orsino, Man, you are one flaky person where do your affections really lie here you you say you're madly in love with olivia but here you are flirting with your eunuch you know make up your mind and oh we skipped the part before that though where arcina says there's for thy pains and pains are another word for penis which changes the meaning and then Festy says, no, no pain, sir. I take pleasure in singing, mm-hmm. sir. I am not here for sex. <laughs> Nor am I here because it's unpleasant. I I enjoy singing. And then Arsino says, I'll pay thy pleasure then. And then Festy says, truly, sir, and pleasure will be paid one time or another. So mm-hmm. again, he's like a little bit scolding here. Um, and then Arsino recognizes that he's being disrespected a little bit. Give me now, leave to leave thee. Get get out. And then Festy leaves that parting shot. All right. So then Festy goes and Arsino says, let all the rest give place, meaning everybody else get out. And then he wants a little private moment with Cesario. And then he gets all <laughs> mopey again. Get thee to yawn same sovereign cruelty. Tell her my love more noble than the world. Price is not quantity of dirty lands. Okay, <laughs> what he means by that is that he's not interested in her inheritance, in her property. Hmm. I'm not sure I believe him, but he is explaining that he's not really just trying to acquire more land and again you know more sex jokes in there the parts that fortune has surprised i'm surprised upon. you
5: let that nothing go at the end of uh, the <laughs> book There,
0: oh, it always <laughs> makes a good voyage of nothing and nothing is a vagina people <laughs> because a thing is a penis and so a no thing and nothing is a vagina and a voyage is obviously sex uh so for that's it hmm. that always makes a good sex of a there we go. <laughs> balance balance is restored. Thank you, Thanks. John.
5: There we go. I'm
0: I'm <laughs> I was slacking on the job. <laughs> and let me be clear to all my uh, mildly horrified instructors that are out there. Look, I know you cannot recommend this to your class because we talk about dick jokes all the time, but all you You know, all you need to do is say, well, you know, there is this other podcast out there, but I can't recommend it because blah, blah, (laughs) blah. And your students will find it. And I guarantee you, if you want teenagers to learn to love Shakespeare, you have to, you know, certainly if they're 16, 17, 18, you have to let them know about the dirty jokes. Otherwise, it is not gonna appeal. To I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I have
5: uh, no legal. Poor John
0: uh, is stuttering. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, let me make clear. I know that John and uh, Bridget both uh, do lots of wonderful kid-friendly. No, no, no,
5: honey, honey, I'm, I'm Randy as they come. I'm uh no uh uh I, I, every you know every production has its flavor. There you go.
0: And I you know we're we're living in an age of the internet where let's face it you know for better or for worse, and I think unfortunately often for worse, people of any age can find pornography where wherever they want to. And I feel like Shakespeare deals with these subjects in both a humorous and even respectful way in that you you so rarely see a woman or somebody you know a, a younger person pressured into some sort of sexual activity that goes unpunished mm-hmm. by the perpetrator like it is almost always recognized as something inappropriate and i feel like it's really important to have you know a healthy (laughs) fun perspective on sexuality and the fact that shakespeare is an old white dude who sometimes not only perpetrated but actually reinforced some very racist and sexist stereotypes I think if we don't want Shakespeare to be canceled, then we need to bring out these nuances where as you read deeper into the text, you see that he's not necessarily condoning those views. And sometimes the way that he <laughs> skewers those is with a dick joke. So, so to speak. Okay. So let's see, where are we? We're rambling around a bit today. We're, we're, sorry, people. But...
5: We're going, uh, Cesario just, or, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Festy just left.
0: So we're, yeah. Festy just left. Arsino says, let all the rest give place. She, he, he prizes not quantity of dirty lands and uh, tell her I hold as giddily as fortune, but tis that miracle and queen of gems, that nature pranks her in, Attracts my soul. So, just to be clear, he's not after her money. He's after her hot body. <laughs> I'm not sure that helps. <laughs> I don't think anybody is impressed by that. Certainly, Viola. I, I love. Are you Hi. kidding me? I love
5: getting <laughs> notes like that, man. All my life. Anyone wants to tell me that I'm <laughs> just smoking the hottest thing in the in the land? Bring it on in, man.
0: Well. Uh, and all that, you know, yes, because you're not worried about no, somebody 100%. taking well, and, your body by and force. And Orsino's, yeah, That's exactly. Orsino's. That's why. <laughs>
5: <laughs> True. <laughs> yes.
0: And, and so Viola says, yeah, yeah, I know you're hot for I, but I know. And Orsino says, I, what, what dost thou know?
5: I think that here there's a Vi- thing where, because yeah. this all mm. gets a bit heated in this section we you know we're coming mm-hmm. towards the uh, end of the scene here after we've had this um this musical moment of, of you know uh just rolling in it you know and um and I, as i said i think he comes out of there kind of on a mission um he gets rid of mm-hmm. uh the clown in a respectful way um <clears throat> and we do we do have the sense that, that at least i do that Orsino has some reverence for the clown's ability mm-hmm. to do what he just did to him you know, to make him feel, if nothing else, mm-hmm. if no, you know, respect for his humanity or anything else. But he gets yeah. rid of them um, and in the same line once more cesario he finishes the same like let all the risk mm-hmm. in place once more cesario uh and then get the this now we're all back in verse again get the same self and cruelty and then all the way until but if she cannot love you sir which speaks to viola's necessity to communicate there and and it's it's a it's a uh, elevated sort of thing for a servant to say to a lord at that at that moment but what if she mm-hmm. can't love you it's kind of an it's an emphatic mm-hmm. sort of uh, she shouldn't mm. she usually say that, and now mm-hmm. for the rest of the scene we start to get mm-hmm. into sh- this sharing line thing again. I cannot be so answered, mm-hmm. sooth, but you must. And and now we're getting into uh, the other aspect of of when we're sharing mm-hmm. meter, what that can mean, which is as opposed to love, mm-hmm. uh, anger. <clears throat> or or some kind of confrontation, and that kind of thing, or, and, you know, with, mm-hmm. in this case, love in it, but say that some lady is perhaps there is, and then we get into this wonderful um, digression uh, from her, where she uh, starts to talk about, um, and as we were continuing, you know, this idea of, like, what women have to go through that men don't, and then he just takes the opportunity to really jump up and 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 just be an ox, just a shit mm-hmm. about it, and just there's <laughs> no one that can love as I've loved and jump the ocean and all the you know and, and blah 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 and no motion of the liver, but the, they are all bullshit. Women can't I'm real possibly
4: deal. feel <laughs> as much as I feel,
5: mm-hmm. as deep and as yeah mm-hmm. exactly, and and that I mm-hmm. owe oh, again a shared line between that love a woman could bear me. And that I owe Olivia, I, but I know, what dost thou know? So the 10 uh, beats are, and that I owe Olivia, I, Mm -hmm. but I know, blank. And then the Duke has just four, what dost thou know? Mm -hmm. And so there's Mm -hmm. six more beats here to do something with. Mm -hmm. Now, is that beforehand? Mm -hmm. Is that after? It's probably after, but again, one of those great moments where uh, you've got some great actor stuff to do and it's given to you by Shakespeare in the verse, Right there, and we come in with mm. with that wonderful, you know, premise from Viola, Too well, what love women to men may owe, in faith they are as true of heart as we. And I, got, I just got chills thinking about that line. You know, when you've you really yeah, got a, a lot of Viola of... worth her salt, I mean, they mm-hmm. can they can really ring it out then.
0: Hmm. And there is so much that Viola can put into this because clearly Cesario Viola has a lot of conflicting feelings at this moment. Uh, But if she cannot love you, sir, I cannot be so answered. Well, I think you have to be soothed, but you must. How incredible for a servant to say that to the, the Duke of Privilege here. And, you know, she's talking about herself here. And, you know, he just runs roughshod right over her. Oh, there's no woman's sides. Can beat the beating of so strong a passion as love doth give my... So this brings us to kind of interesting kind of contextual note in terms of the Elizabethans who believed that women were infinitely more sexual than men were. That women had a much greater capacity for sexual pleasure because women can have multiple orgasms. You know, men have one orgasm and then they got a recharge. Women do not have that problem, and a woman could divorce a man in Elizabethan England for not having sex with her enough. (laughs) To the point where.
5: (laughs) It's awesome. I love that. It's, all right, does everyone have that down? There's going to be a freaking quiz later.
0: Oh, there, there is a case where a woman was complaining that her husband did not have sex with her 10 times a week the way he was supposed to. Uh, basically, a, a man was supposed to deliver. And so now we get back to this concern with penises and what they can and can't do and that your wife could Technically, divorce you if you were not able to please her. So, here he is in this culture saying, Oh, you know, men, you know, feel so much more deeply. So, what he is saying, which is the opposite of our culture, is that although women may have more of a sexual capacity, that men have a stronger emotional attachment. And how different is that for us? You know, honestly, I I think it all varies by the human being. I don't think that we can say that all men are one way and all women are another way. So we can just let that whole idea go. (laughs) I think it does (laughs) help to understand that context. And, you know, he's talking about a certain amount of possessiveness, a certain amount of fixation. He's sort of claiming here that men become fixated on one object and women are more willing to go to somebody else who can satisfy that need if the current person isn't satisfying that need. So then that gets into a whole other level of assumptions that we make these days. And that dichotomy between the virgin and the whore, and that women are forced into one or the other of those aspects. And if you're a mom, you're just out of the equation altogether. But we know that's a false dichotomy. You know, we know that somebody can be respectful of their own body, can be ethical in terms of how they choose their partners, how they treat their partners, and still like to have a lot of sex. But this idea of the virgin and the whore is through everything in Elizabethan England, but it doesn't mean to them <laughs> what it meant to us. And it's real important when you think about Elizabeth, who is the virgin queen, that... She kind of codified this idea that a virgin was a woman who was pure, who would not have, who would not even marry in order to maintain that virgin state, which meant not attached to a man. It didn't necessarily mean had never had sex. As opposed to someone who was getting paid For sex, who that was their profession. Okay, we'll give Bridget a moment. (laughs) You all set? Awesome. Okay. So he goes on and on Hmm. and on, no motion of the liver, but the palate that suffers surfeit, cloyment, and revolt. And so what that means is having too much of a good thing. A surfeit is too much sweetness. Cloyment is also too much sweetness. But mine is as hungry as the sea and can digest as much. Make no compare. Between that love, a woman can bear me. And that I owe Olivia. I have such big feelings. And she goes, Yeah, yeah, I know. And then or see, what do you know? Well,
5: and, and the, the well, lines what, there. Well. I'm so sorry to interrupt, but yeah, the uh, <clears throat> the lines um, as it gets towards that interaction, uh, and then I owe Olivia, I but I know we're monosyllabic. It's it's vowel sounds, is this is a heightened interaction mm-hmm. here in my opinion with the verse that we're seeing and the shared line the those uh you know it, it we're not uh the suffer surfeit cloyment and revolt but mine is all as hungry as the sea we're starting to build up and can digest as much as olivia ba bomb what it, it, it's the whole thing is it's this crescendo like he's talking about mm-hmm. the the ocean and then it comes mm-hmm. back down right? Too well what love women to men may owe, and faith there is truth hard is weak. And we get into an interesting moment here with this, you know, in my opinion, this flash up, this flare up, mm-hmm. and then my father had a daughter, which is such a weird thing that she's got mm-hmm. this image just right here, you know, when she's talking to him, she's got mm-hmm. that ready, but she does. <clears throat> Pardon me, my father had a daughter, loved a man, as it might be perhaps were I, a woman, I should your lordship and in the same line, he's sharing the line again. I should your lordship and what's her history. They share that line. And so there's, uh, I don't know if you guys read it as a soothing effect or some kind of, something interests him there and her, the rest of her lie or uh, or personal you know, uh, anecdote, whichever it is that she's relating there, he's mm-hmm. off of his warpath for a second. Unless it's mm-hmm. unless he's being angry and flip or something like that, but that's that's probably a bit easy. No, and,
0: I I mean I always read it as genuine interest <laughs> and like oh you got a sister.
5: Of course, of course. <laughs> well, for me it was always uh, that, sh- that she's first let be spoken the idea, the words have come out of someone's mouth mm-hmm. that she might like him. And so as a guy, anytime that happens, everything just starts spinning in a vortex around that, you know, it's like, Oh, someone wants to, you know, like, here we go. So I don't know what we were talking about before, but yeah, let's talk about us.
0: (laughs) I think that's a pretty normal human reaction when someone expresses an interest in you. And it's very daring because here, you know, it's basically admitting their feelings. Cesario, Viola is admitting that they have, that they are attracted to Orsino. But Orsino mm. glosses right over that and says, Well, tell me about your sister.
5: Or, you know, and, and it's, it depends on your Orsino. Is he sensing the bullshit mm-hmm. of this story? Or is he, are they talking about a, a expressed uh, attraction from earlier moments when they were mm-hmm. in tableau? Or how far along is this thing? That's up for every production to decide.
0: Uh, absolutely um, but absolutely. then it, it,
5: it goes into that wonderful uh monologue one of the great mm-hmm. monologues for uh violet day this is this is you know this is you always i don't know about you guys but I, you know you always have your mm-hmm. judy dench in your mind and you always have your you know whenever i read these words the damask cheek and this is just one of those <laughs> well
0: no in, in, no pressure bridget but would you <laughs> like <laughs> it or yeah, you know me and judy were like this <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> I'm sure she'd love you if she. No higher praise. A blank, my lord. She never told her love, but let concealment, like a worm in the bud, feed on her damask cheek. She pined in thought, and with a green and yellow melancholy, she sat like patience on a monument, smiling at grief. Was not this love indeed? We men may say more, swear more, but indeed, our shows are more than will, for still we prove much in our vows, but little in our love.
0: Mm -hmm. That's great. Thank
5: you. That's great. Good job. Lovely.
0: Very nice. So, and... (laughs) The meaning is, you know, if you're comfortable with the language, the meaning is really clear, but it, it's very poetical. And what she's saying here is that uh, a blank, in other words, the story never continued past that love. She never told her love, but let concealment, like a worm in the bud, sex joke,
2: or on her damnest <laughs>
0: Oh yeah (laughs) And apples aren't sexual at all all We know that (laughs) On her damask cheek She pined in thought She sat like patience on a monument Patience was a particular uh, Archetype that you could see In a cemetery Of It's like a, a young figure Often a young girl Sitting on top of a gravestone Looking sad, smiling at grief, was not this love indeed. So here she is saying to Orsino, Look, my sister was in love with somebody. And yeah, sure, she didn't go around making a big deal about it. She didn't hire people to sing sad songs for her about it. But those feelings were just as real. And so just because women aren't necessarily as much in your face about their feelings, that doesn't mean that those feelings are not there and she follows that up with we men may say more swear more but indeed our shows are more than will for still we prove much in our vows but little in our love you guys are all talk <laughs> and just because we don't spew that kind of bullshit 24 7 doesn't mean that women don't have feelings too and what mm. a wonderful thing for shakespeare to say and to to put it so beautifully and what? you know th- this is one of the many reasons why this part is so attractive to so many people through the ages why everybody mm. wants to play viola and some olivia but why so many want to mm. play viola is is for that line alone is just so beautiful mm. and then arsino is like well did she die
5: yeah that's that's an you interesting know? moment for orsino you know is is is, is it mm-hmm. That there's been such an effect on him by the, by the communication of the story that he is considering his own fate like mm-hmm. um is um is it a mockery uh moment you know um uh she didn't die <laughs> did she die you know or I don't, is it I uh, don't, you I, know I, there's a lot of different uh
0: there are different ways to take that that would take a pretty hard-hearted orsino yeah. To be using that as a mockery. I I, I think, again, he's saying, you know, how badly was it? Did she die? Am I going to die? And is she available? Can I meet her? I think it is.
5: You know what? I de- of- That's that's a great point. <laughs> <Undercoat>. <laughs> if you wanted to go there with it, but what a shit Orsino, and hey, what a horror uh, Cesario <laughs> must be to be in <laughs> love with that asshole, you know? Uh, you see, you gotta you gotta make him a little better than that.
0: <laughs> no, not necessarily, because it gives her hope. Yeah. Because it, he's saying, well, you know, while your sister sounds like like maybe I could get with her because her feelings are as deep as mine are. So I don't necessarily see that as a bad moment. I feel like he's expressing interest in Cesario's sister and possibly, possibly having a thought that maybe <laughs> women have feelings too.
5: <laughs> I, 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 it's, it's always struck me too as, um, as mm. self-concern, um, there I, I think that's for the most part how we've began to explore it when we've been uh acting mm-hmm.
0: the he's worried that he could die or from say, somewhere in there
5: history. something with all that kind of
0: yeah she is talking about patience on a monument there's a lot of
5: he doesn't he doesn't morbid want to be the picture imagery. of love he wants to be rolling no. it. he wants you know to be I mean? god don't let me be a mm-hmm. monument i want to be mcjagger you know up here i would to, you know right like and then her her response this- in my opinion. You know, Shakespeare's a bastard with this because you know, it says one about sexism and all this kind of stuff. But women have the best lines in Shakespeare, and I'm gonna say it until I die. As a guy, you never get lines like this. You get to be or not to be. You get tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and once more into the breach. But you never get I am. Bam. You know what I mean? You never get like I have the power. You know. Well, go ahead and
0: read the. Go ahead and read those, John. I am us. all. <laughs> I know you'll never get to read them <laughs> <Yeah>. on stage.
5: <laughs> I am all the daughters of my father's house and all the brothers too, and yet I know not. And that is just gangster mm. right there. That's mm-hmm. like Beatrice. It's like there was a star that danced and under it mm-hmm. I was born. You know what I mean? That's just mm-hmm. those uh, once-in-a-lifetime mm-hmm. kind of things to get to say on stage.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's so witty. And it's well, and, true and a
5: huge, because as tragic, far as she knows, huge, it's very tragic yes. here. You know, just a, a wonderful. Mm-hmm. She can see so many. I mean, you can see her seeing him and all the different fates and all. It's just wonderful.
0: And got to mm-hmm. be confusing as hell to Orsino, for her to say, "I am all the daughters of my father's house." She is basically telling him mm-hmm. that she yeah. is <laughs> that woman. It, it, does he catch well, it? Well, she's
5: quick to change the subject. Okay, so mm-hmm. I'm going to get Sir, out here. Of... Sir, shall I yeah. to this lady?
0: Yeah, <laughs> shall I to this lady? And Arsino says, yeah, yeah, that's what we were doing. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Jack's with I, the that's with Olivia, that's it. it. Hurry up, give her this jewel. Say my love can give no place, bide no denay, which denay means denial, uh, to refuse and exempt. So... Such a complicated scene, such a rich scene emotionally, and really easy to miss if you don't know what's going on here, if you don't really have a familiarity with the text with what's happening here. And I think it makes it a lot more enjoyable. So if you listen to the to this scene and got to the end of it and we're like well Mm -hmm. that was great but i don't know what any of it meant i really encourage you to go back and listen to it again and think about olivia she's trying really hard not to betray the the fact that she's female olivia what did i say olivia we got you Go ahead and go back and listen to this and think about how Viola is trying so hard Mm. in front of her crush not to reveal the fact that she is actually female and that she has these feelings for Orsino and that she could match him in her passion in a way that Olivia cannot and that Olivia doesn't want to. And I got to tell you, she is made of sterner stuff than I am because I would have blurted that shit out. <laughs> I would have been, Look, I have boobs. I love you. <laughs> and then the play would have been over. One act two act play. Two act play. <laughs> so then then Arsino says, Oh yeah, that's what we were doing. Uh, see you later. So anything else that you two would like to add to this? Uh, discussion well, I, of think this we <laughs> yeah. we, I think we covered it beat,
5: beat I think it we up. covered it really well, well. It. backwards
0: <laughs> and forwards we backed up a few times drove over yeah. it again backed up sorry Huge scene. <laughs> sorry, Huge sorry scene. Listeners. lovely
5: scene. yeah
0: <laughs> wonderful scene we mm. you know it, for such a mm-hmm. small scene it packs a big punch and I I personally as a director feel like this scene is often underplayed, that people are afraid of really Mm. pushing those emotions to the forefront. And so sometimes you have to find that balance where the characters are being kind of emotionally reserved from each other. And yet you have to tell the audience that, that the passions are at a peak and How you can do that, there's so many ways, with body language, with tone, with pauses. uh, However you can make it happen with music is another way that you can do it. You can continue to have musicians kind of playing. uh, When Orsino says, everybody go away, (laughs) Musicians weren't really people in his (laughs) mind necessarily, so you can still have your musicians up in the gallery if you want to, and honestly, that's a way I cheat a lot, to indicate the emotional subtext of a scene. Okay, so in the next scene, we get to see the beginnings of Mariah's plot against Malvolio. Uh, You will notice that Festy is not there, and uh, there's a new character that you'll meet called Fabian, who's basically just kind of a hanger-on at court. I have a few ideas while Festy is not there, but I think he's just (laughs) politically bright. I think (laughs) Festy is smart enough to know trouble when he sees it, is my guess, but uh, you can all Hmm. decide that for yourself after the scene.